Okay, so I'm going to give you a, a little bit more definition of what Pentecost is. But basically, um, when after um, Jesus rose from the dead and before he ascended to heaven, he spoke to his disciples. And there's really one primary universal command that he gave his disciples in that time period. And it was to preach the gospel to all creation, to make disciples of all nations. And then he gives them another little specific command. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive uh, power from on high. And so they were together in Jerusalem waiting and praying. And, uh, and he ascended to heaven. And then this is what happens uh, historically today on Pentecost, is what he was telling them to wait for. So after he ascended, they were waiting in Jerusalem. And we're going to read what happened um, at that point. And actually, let's go ahead and just jump in. And we'll, I'll try to define terms as we go. And we'll be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Um, I have a friend in the audience that's going to tell me if I'm speaking too fast. <laughs> so, but we're going to try to cover a lot of ground. We're also going to touch on some major theological points, and I'm going to try to do it in two or three sentences each. So I ask Kent to throw something at me if I say something heretical accidentally. So I've got some checks and balances in the audience here. Okay, so let's read. Uh, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. Okay, we may have heard some words there that sounded like other tongues as we're hearing all the countries there. So a few definitions here. So Pentecost, uh, literally, it's a transliterated word into English. It means 50th. So it was a 50th day after Passover, and all male Jews were expected to be present uh, when initially this was given as a feast. And so that's why there was a lot of people from different parts here to celebrate the feast. And it was a time in which Jews presented the first fruits of their wheat harvest to God. And I think you've had a message on that recently. Uh, what, what that meant. It was a feast of harvest or feast of weeks uh, in which the people would bring the first product of their their harvest and wave it as an offering to the Lord. And as we're going to see, the Lord is about to receive sort of a first fruits offering of new believers here. Now, 
it says that they, the Holy Spirit came and rested on them, filled them. Some, a little bit of theology about the Holy Spirit here. There's one God. The Bible teaches us we believe there's only one God. Hear, O Israel, Israel, the Lord thy God is one, but he eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so something that's really important about that is when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about an impersonal force like electricity or like Star Wars, the force. You know, some people compare the force in Star Wars to the Holy Spirit. Uh, What's significantly different is that this is a person. It's not just this impersonal force. So this is and not just any person. This is one of the persons of the Godhead, the Trinity. He is God. And what he does, his, his main role is to glorify Jesus and empower the saints to do whatever God commands them to do. It's a, maybe oversimplistic definition, but the Holy Spirit, God, is in us, lives in every believer, and he's there to glorify Jesus and to empower us to do anything God commands us to do. And what's beautiful about this is, um, to me, in, when you read Romans 8, and it's about life in the Spirit, What's beautiful about that is how it paints it is it says basically that God, his spirit lives in us to enable us to do what we could never do. And isn't that the gospel, right? We, we, we could not earn our position before God in right relationship to him because of our sin. And so Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again from the dead to make us right with God. We could not do that on our own. Salvation is now a free gift that was given to us. So walking in the Holy Spirit is the same process. It's God doing in you what you could never do. Enables you to love people, produces peace when there's no reason you need to have peace, uh, gives you power uh, to obey Jesus, to proclaim the word of God boldly. I am not naturally a bold person, and by God's grace, he speaks through me the gospel to people when I don't think I can, and it's all because of him. It's not because of me. So, and he's here to do the same thing in us. So he empowers God's people to do whatever God commands them to do. A few really interesting points here is that it says that he manifested in a flame. Is there any other place in the Bible in which you've seen God represented as a flame? And in the Old Testament, over the tent of meeting, God was, was present in, in a flame, right? So, and what's interesting is in this place, and also the other way is uh, he's presented as a wind, a mighty rushing wind that arguably the whole city hears, and then people come and gather. Because they hear this noise of the wind. They hear people declaring the wonders of God in languages that the the people should not be able to speak. Um, But God is manifested both as wind and as fire, which are symbols of God's presence in the Old Testament. So it's really beautiful that he he manifests himself in that way. And not only, it begins as one flame, and then little flames appear on everyone's head. So it's like just God coming down as one and being distributed among everyone. So we'll look at that a little bit more. But just symbols of God. God we're talking about God here, his presence in the Holy Spirit being poured out on his people. And so you have thousands of people gathered. I don't know exactly how many were gathered. Um, more than 3,000 we know. Could be, as some people estimate, uh, more than 5,000 people. And... We don't know if they heard this, the, it was the sound of the wind or the sound of the, the many people speaking different languages, but everybody rushed to gather around this building. Something's happening. And, and then you hear these different estimations of what's happening. Some people think they're drunk. And, it, it's, uh, and so 
basically, the, what we're going to see here is the Apostle Peter stands up to give a sermon, a really powerful sermon. That's the main, what we're mainly going to look at right here. I wanted to, you to see some background. Um, but the main question he's answering in the whole sermon is what's happening here? So there's more than 5,000 people come and they're gathered and they're just, wow, what's happening? And that's actually the, the bottom line of what Peter's trying to answer. The outcome's this amazing sermon that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's just answering the question of what's happening here. And so let's read what he says, uh, picking up in verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And uh, Taku read from this passage earlier. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And so uh, the first observation just the first clear thing that Peter says is this was, and I, I put at least, a partial fulfillment of the scripture in Joel. Um, so this was probably a, a scripture that most people who gathered were familiar with from the Old Testament. And they're saying, what's happening? He's saying, well, this is, this is just like Joel predicted. And he reads this passage in Joel. Um, and so I want to look at this passage a little bit more closely and what exactly... Um, is true from Joel um, that's true of this sending of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I'm going to read again. Verse 17 and 18. This is the first observation we can make. He says, It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So there are at least three things we learn about this time period mentioned in Joel. And I say the time period mentioned in Joel because it, it seems like there's a lot of things jumbled up in this passage. So he starts talking about what you're seeing is happening in Joel. And then he starts talking about end times. He starts talking about the uh, sun being turned to darkness, the, the, the moon to blood and, 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 and war and famine, and he's making reference to these things. And so, well, I didn't see those things happening in, at this time in Acts. So I'm just going to refer to this as the time period in which he's talking. And it looks like it's all jumbled together. So I'm just going to step back and make three simple observations. What do we see? The first one from verse 17 and 18 is that the Holy Spirit is being poured out indiscriminately on all God's people. And this is really a profound thought because the Holy Spirit is present and at work from Genesis 1 to Revelation, the end of Revelation. Um, you see it throughout the Old Testament. There was a, some differences in how the Holy Spirit empowered people in the Old Testament. But, he would, uh, but it was kind of like select individuals at select times for the most part received the, the, the Holy Spirit. And most people thought, 
Well, if you're a prophet, you know, this happens if you're a prophet. Um, and in most cases, that was true. Um, there, but there are certain people that the Holy Spirit could be poured out on. Um, they were usually male and there's usually had were considered to have some sort of office. And so what's happening here is uh, the Holy Spirit is being poured out indiscriminately on all God's people. And he references with with without respect to age. The young people, he said, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams. It's anyone who's saved, the Holy Spirit, with, irregardless of age, irregardless of position, irregardless of gender, everyone of God's people, the Holy Spirit now fills and lives in. And so it's indiscriminate. So that's a beautiful truth. So as you sit here, if you have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and you've followed him, uh, faithfully calling him as, as your Lord, then the Spirit of God dwells in you. Whether you're six or more than 90, it's uh, the Holy Spirit is in you, living in you. This beautiful truth. Um, and the second thing we read, I'm going to just read from my Bible, don't have to back up, is verse 19 and 20, the second observation we can make. And he says, I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the glorious day of the Lord shall come. So this gets a little confusing because he's talking about a lot of the signs that we see in Revelation uh, that precedes the, the second coming of Christ, the return of the Lord. So it gets confusing again because he's saying these things are happening simultaneously. I'm just going to step back and make a simple observation that what we see here, so we're, we're talking about um, wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. That's sort of symbolic for great wars. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. So I actually don't want to put too much definition on what does that mean, the day of the Lord, but we know ultimately we're talking about return of Christ uh, when he sets everything into order. Um, it's also a stamp there's, in which the, we have a chance here uh, to turn to Christ, to follow him. There's a point at which we lose that that opportunity, but this is the day of the Lord. It's coming, and one very simple observation we can make about this time period, the first is the Spirit is poured out indiscriminately. The second, because it's all squished together, and he's saying you should watch for these signs, basically, is that the day of the Lord is imminent. It means it could happen at any moment, and I think this is even in your doctrinal statement of faith as a church, is that, that we, we believe that the day of the Lord could happen any moment. And so we need to be ready. And so that's what we see here. So you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You see the day of the Lord is imminent. And so we must be ready. Jesus, oh man, there's chapters devoted to this in the Gospels. Huge portions of Jesus' teaching to be prepared, be ready, be like men who are waiting for their master to return. We should always, always, always keep this in the forefront of our mind. That, And, and in fact, in Second Peter chapter 3, it warns us of thinking that it's going to be a long time till the, till the Lord comes. We need to behave like he's coming, that he's at the door. He's ready to return. And so this is a great reminder that the coming of the Lord is imminent. And I'm just going to read verse 21. The final observation here from Joel comes from verse 21. He, this is the last verse he quotes. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm just going to re repeat that as we see it. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's, let's look at this. This is what Peter says begins whenever at Pentecost. Indiscriminate outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all of God's people. The day of the Lord is now imminent. It could happen at any moment. And anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. 
I'm going to come back and refer back to these things right now, but this is the main thing that we see in, in the, his use of Joel right here. So I'm going to read a little bit farther and uh, read verse 22 through 33. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. So he, he was talking to people, just saying, you, you probably know this man, Jesus. He was doing some wild miracles. That a lot of the people probably knew who he was. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. It's really interesting here because we see God's plan in Christ's death, but we also see man's responsibility. There's, I'm not going to even try to unpack that too much, but we, it's just a wonderful illustration that it wasn't an accident that Jesus went to the cross. It was God's plan all along. Satan may have thought he was defeating him, but it was all a part of God's plan. And the, the men were acting, they were responsible for what they did, uh, but ulti- and ultimately God used it for his plan, and they're to be held accountability, but we see his redemption here. Uh, verse 24, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my, my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will dwell in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. This is a quotation of Psalm 16. I highly encourage you to just read Psalm 16 and think about the implications of how it points to Christ Arguably, the way Peter is, is relaying this is it's Christ speaking because David, as we're going to see, wasn't raised from the dead. He's speaking prophetically about the Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 29, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David who wrote Psalm 16 that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to set one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And just a, a few thoughts here is that now he turns all of the focus to Jesus. So he first, there, what's happening here? And he says, well, this is a... This is, at least the beginning of what Joel told us about. And he quotes the passage. And then it just, it's almost like he just changes, starts talking about Jesus, right? So at this point, we don't, maybe they're just wondering, they're hearing this first time, but we're about to see how this all connects to Christ because he really is the center point of all of this. So number one is that this was at least a partial fulfillment of the scripture in Joel. We looked at that. Verse two, a second point here is that Jesus is responsible for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that's what he said in verse 33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And so this is Jesus. Jesus is the one who did this. He's alive. He's in heaven. He's reigning. He's received the promise of the Holy Spirit and he's the one responsible. And this is what John the Baptist prophesied about. Said there would be, I baptize with water 
Uh, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And uh, Jesus even said in Acts 1 that you'll be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. But the main point is that Jesus is responsible for this. And we're going to see in a minute that actually he's saying that the Lord quoted in Joel, that Joel was talking about, is Jesus. We're talking about this man that you guys thought was a criminal and killed on a cross. God raised him from the dead. This is, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. He's the one responsible for this outpouring that we see from Joel. And I'm going to keep reading verse 34. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the punchline. This is the end of the sermon. This is the main point he wants to drive home, that Christ is Lord. And in, in that word Lord, he's saying he's the master. Uh, like we read in Matthew 20, 28, um, 19, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the Lord. He's our master. He is God. That's what we're imp- implying here. By re- The same word Lord here is the same one in the, in the passage of Joel. And he's saying Jesus is responsible for this. Jesus is the Lord. So that's a heavy, big truth to those who are listening. The second is that he is the Christ. And Christ literally means the anointed one or the king that was predicted throughout the Old Testament, the one who would come and, and, and lead and bring Israel to victory. But he, this is the man, the man that you crucified that's raised from the dead. He's, he's both responsible for what we see. He's responsible for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop here for a minute before I give you the very last point. And how many have you seen this before? These kind of represent the main points of Jesus's ministry from eternity past to eternal, eternal uh, future. The first one is an arrow down, he came. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And that just that phrase, there's a lot more here in each of these points. I'm going to give the short point, but he came. The second one is he died. He died on the cross for our sins. The third one is an empty tomb. So his grave is empty. Uh, no other religious leader, all the rest of them, they're still in their graves. Jesus' grave is empty. He rose from the dead. The next is he ascended. So he ascended to heaven. He's uh, seated at the right hand of God. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And finally, the downward arrow is he's coming back. The reason I share this is that the gospel, what we see here is the gospel message. It, it's from the, the, his, his explanation of Joel and his explanation of how Jesus is responsible and why the Holy Spirit is poured out. He's sharing the gospel. The, the gospel, you can see it summarized in many different ways. There's books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each share the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us some really clear sentences. It's basically, this is an easy way to share, but he came, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming back. Each of these points is filled with meaning, a lot of detail. This is kind of like an outline. So if you're trying to share this with someone, help fill in the details of what did that mean, but this is an outline. There's a book written about these points. It's called the Bible. You can refer (laughs) to that. But as I've, I've heard Pastor Ron say is that, you know, the whole Bible, it's one story from Genesis to Revelation. It's the story of Jesus and his redemption of mankind, his coming, his death, his uh, resurrection, his ascension. He's coming back. There's a piece of this that's at the forefront of the gospel as we see it and preached in Acts, the empty tomb and his return. 
it's that's a major part of the gospel, and we need to make sure we're sharing that. But so we see him highlighting this um, in this story. So you just remember, he came, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming. Tanil realized that makes an acronym. Is it you that said that? C D R A C. C D R A C. Came, died, rose, ascended, and coming back. C D R A C. That's the gospel. So I'm just going to look back. This is basically the outline of what we see in the message here. This was what we what was happening here. They said, "What's happening?" He said, "This is at least a partial fulfillment of what we see in in um, the, in Joel." One, the Holy Spirit is being poured out indiscriminately on all God's people. The day of the Lord is imminent. That means it's, it could happen at any moment. We don't know when it could happen. Three, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, I didn't, I didn't emphasize this earlier, but right now, uh, the, the time period in which we're living, it's the same one that was initiated at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's taken longer than we thought. You know, we thought these things would happen sooner, uh, but they're coming. That does not mean God is slow to fulfill His promise. Again, Second Peter 3 will tell you about that. But right now, you have the Holy Spirit. If you've confessed Christ as your Lord and chosen to follow Him, you have the Holy Spirit, no matter your age, position, gender. The day of the Lord could happen at any moment. And in this space right now, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's true for everyone around you. Everyone, we, we live in the largest concentration of unbelievers on the planet. And you know what? This is true for them. And that if you, you share the gospel, they hear and choose to believe and call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So here we are. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is coming back. The time is limited. Actually, my Japanese is terrible. But lately, when I try to share the gospel, I say, Kikan gente. <laughs> You know, that's a phrase that sells things here. Time is limited. You know, the sakura-flavored latte at Starbucks, kikangente, right? Man, I, there's something better that's coming. And I, and I, man, I'll do whatever I can to let them know that this, you don't have forever. You know, we don't know how long we're going to live. I don't, we don't know when the Lord's going to come back. And the time is short. This is what's happening. Um, you know what? In Second Peter three, I'll go ahead and quote this. Is he says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill this promise. It hasn't. It's been two thousand years since this happened. The Lord's not slow. He's patient. He's waiting, so that that all would have a chance to reach repentance and come to a knowledge of, this, of the of the Lord. I mean, he's just waiting for more people to hear. So that's what's happening right now. This the same things that were true of, and what Joel was talking about, true today. These three three things. The second point is that Jesus is responsible for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that sent the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. He's the one who baptizes in the Spirit in the sense of gives gives us, fills us the Holy Spirit. It's His doing. He's the Lord. And finally, Jesus is Lord in Christ. He is the Lord and He is the promised Christ. This is Him. And so how do we respond? How, what do we do? That's a, just the final thing. Is So this is what's true of Pentecost. What Peter tells us, the Holy Spirit speaks through him. And so, how do we respond? And it's right here in the text. I'm going to pick up reading at verse 37. It says, Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of 
of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people entered the kingdom of God in that, that day. Hence, Pentecost, first fruits. We see a wave offering of just a group of new believers right there. And it's only the beginning, right? There's that first fruits mean it's something predicting that there's more to come. There's a greater harvest coming. It's, but we see, we see it here. So our response is, I'm just going to quote Peter. I'm not, I'm not going to try not to add anything to what he said. Uh, the response, number one, is first thing he says, repent and be baptized. And I want to just fill that in a little bit. Repent means to change your mind. Uh, the, the basic Greek definition, if I'm understanding it correctly, is just to, re, re, to, to change your mind, um, primarily about who Christ is. Um, relates to that as who you are. But it's, it's also a, a change of direction. So maybe we thought Jesus was a good religious teacher. Maybe, um, maybe you think Christianity is one good option among many good options. That needs to change. That's, that's repentance is Christ is the Lord and he's the Christ. He is God. Uh, we have plenty of proof of that. It's turning away from walking away from him. It's turning uh, uh, from walking away from him. It's a turn to uh, walking towards him. So repentance is a change of mind about who Christ is. It's, a, it's also a change in direction from walking away from him to walking towards him. And be baptized. So in the New Testament, um, every time there was a profession of faith, there was baptism. It happened kind of simultaneously, so that it looks like kind of one thing. I think, uh, lately, we've we've separated. There's, you know, uh, good reasons, good heart behind that. Ultimately, baptism is a profession of what you believe to be true about Christ. Baptism, when you're going under the water, you're symbolizing I'm being joined together with Christ's death. When you come up, you're saying I'm alive with Him, just as as He uh, is alive. Um, there was also a practice at the time when a slave transferred ownership from one owner to another, they would do a baptism. They would dunk them in water to show, I'm washing myself, I'm leaving this owner, and I I'm, I'm now belong to this man. And so this is, baptism is a, um, you're saying you're dying with Christ, you're being raised from him. I profess he's my Lord, and I'm ready to follow him. So this is the primary response here to the message uh, about who Christ is, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is to turn uh, from walking away from Christ to walk towards him to be baptized in a sense of making a profession. So if you haven't already done this, now is the, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to turn uh, and change your mind about who Christ is. Realize he is Lord and Christ, the only true God. Express your faith. Actually, what the, the Bible says, Romans 10 is nice. If your mouth confesses that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if your heart believes that, that Christ is Lord, you believe that he was raised from the dead, all you need to do is confess it with your mouth. I believe Jesus is Lord. That's, that's their requirement. You believe, you profess. Please do that today if you haven't done that. The promise, what happens when you do that, um, when you make that profession of faith, you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. As we said, repent, be baptized, you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So if you have repented, and profess to follow Jesus as your Lord, you have the Holy Spirit. And this is a reminder of that today, Pentecost, that God, the person, lives in you. 
that the power of God is in you to, to do anything and everything God commanded you to do. Um, if you've genuinely turned in faith and confessed Christ as Lord, you have the Holy Spirit. You can rejoice that you can do anything God has commanded you to do because the power is in you to do that. And then finally, what does he say after that? He says, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. So if, this, if you've repent, you've professed faith, you've been baptized, uh, A, if you've just repented and confessed faith, you have the Holy Spirit. Be reminded of that. If all that's been done, you've been baptized, arguably before you've been baptized, we can talk about that later, <laughs> pass it on to others. He said, this promise isn't just for you. He said, this promise is for you, it's for your kids, it's for everyone you know, everyone to the ends of the earth. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And actually, in, in Acts, almost every time someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's coupled with a bold proclamation of the Word of God. And so that one of the primary roles, you know, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when, you, when you, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The power enables us to share the Word of God with other people. So pass this on. So the way we pass it on, Anybody, what, was, what were the five points again? What are, what's the gospel? What's, one, what's number one? He, he came. What's number two? He died. Three. Rose. Ascended. And he's coming back. Do you know, you can literally just share those points with someone in that way. And there are some people in Japan that are ready to believe with that alone. We found them actually about a week and a half ago. Asked my wife about it. She led someone to faith just by sharing, hey, this is who I used to be. Did you know about Christ? He came, he died, he rose again, and he's my Lord, and here's how my life changed. And she's like, wow, I've been waiting to hear this. Somebody gave me a track, and I read it, and I learned about Jesus, and I was weeping, thinking, what's something's true here. And went to a bookstore, tried to buy a Bible, was overwhelmed by the choices, and had just been sitting I didn't know what to do. And then, by God's grace, we met her, and that's all she needed to hear. Uh, th- they had to meet again with an interpreter, make sure she understood everything, and she was ready to jump in. I'll tell you a little bit more about her story. But in proclaiming the gospel, when, if someone responds in faith and believes, they, get, they receive the Holy Spirit as well, that they, and, the, and God lives in them at, at the moment of faith. So pass it on to others. You know what was cool about that? This Again, this woman uh, just received... I'll tell you the end of the story now. <laughs> Actually, her story is just beginning. But so we're, uh, everyone on our team, we just have this, we're, you, we go to the Great Commission. When someone says, yes, I'm ready to follow Jesus, they profess him as Lord, we just say, hey, will you read this for me? And we make some observation about the Great Commission, about what it means to follow him. The final thing we say is, what is, right here we have a promise. The last phrase in the Great Commission is, um, anyone know what the promise is at the end, Matthew 28, 20? I will be with you until the end of the age. And Danielle said, you know what? This is true. This is, this is the word of God. We can trust this. Whether you believe this or not, Jesus is with you uh, through thick and thin from now to the end of time. Um, do you believe that? And she just started profusely thanking. Danielle knew enough Japanese that she knew what was happening. She was profusely thanking the interpreter. Thank you so much. This is amazing. Like, I, I, I thank you. This is my whole life's changing. So it's a beautiful truth for brand new believers. So we're passing on. You know, it's interesting is that the, the, the context here is the receiving the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit is poured out, but the Holy Spirit is glorifying Jesus. But in sharing the gospel, you enable someone to also experience the beautiful blessings of the Holy Spirit. Same things that Peter said about the day of Pentecost are true today. The Lord pours out his Holy Spirit indiscriminately. The day of the Lord is imminent. Anyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. So the, the driving emphasis here is who Jesus is, the identity of Jesus. 
he who baptizes the Holy Spirit. If you repent and believe that he is truly both Lord and Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 